It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, April 6, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where we welcome both mutants and non-mutants, metahumans, and even aliens to be washed in the font of the Lord. And friends, that font is not Times New Roman. On today's show, love, 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 crazy love. <laughs> we will talk about the different kinds of love and the way they show up in some of our favorite comic stories. Plus, as always, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And Father Matt Stromberg, oh my goodness, where are you? Well, I'm here with Father Jonathan at Holy Comforter. But I'm usually the priest over at uh, Christchurch Cooperstown. That's it's great to have you uh, actually physically present here uh, with me, Father Matt. Well, so we're going to uh, talk about all sorts of things today, and we're going to get into a lot of stuff in relation to love. Um, but uh, before we get into that, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about Batman v Superman. That's not Batman versus Superman, friends. It's Batman v Superman. Um, <laughs> and uh, now I have purposely avoided seeing this film because my impression from everything that I've read, heard, and just based on the fact that I've seen Zack Snyder films in the past is that it is probably a flaming piece of excrement. Uh, <laughs> but, but... Uh, Father Matt here has actually gone to see it, and he says, Hark! No! It is not a flaming piece of excrement. It is not even excrement. That's what he says. Well, you know, I went in with pretty uh, low expectations, but with all with all the media uh, hype surrounding I figured I needed to give it a chance. And I was happy I did. I, I, I enjoyed the movie. I, you know, Ben Affleck actually makes a, a pretty cool Batman. For all the uh, the grief he got when he was cast in the role, the movie is uh, it's exciting. It's got to, it's got some great you know spectacle to it. Some great action scenes. The characters look really cool, um, and, and and there's some great um, homages to classic DC storylines, especially involving Batman, Superman, but also Wonder Woman makes makes an appearance. If you've seen some of the trailers and I, I thought she was really cool in the movie it was exciting to see her on film for the first time in in, in decades it is flawed i mean it's not i'm i'm not gonna give it like a four-star review or anything like that i mean there's definitely some some problems with the movie and it's very it's just it's just very gloomy uh it's 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 very dark and 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 i, I just I wish it would have lightened it up a bit. I, I feel like some of the Marvel comics had uh, book uh, movies had had more fun to it, and I wish they could have done that with this. Especially, Superman's not a dark character, but he is in this. Um, <laughs> did you now? Did you like Man of Steel? No, I didn't. Okay. I, I I thought Man of Steel was awful, and this was better. Okay. This was definitely improvement on on Man of Steel. 
So, well, at some point, I guess um, I'll 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 try to get over my uh, aversion and and uh, <laughs> and see it, um, and and then we can compare notes. Uh, check out Father Nico's review. Our good friend Father Nico from Christ Coffee and Comics wrote wrote up a review about it. Although there there's some spoilers. I will second much of what Father Nico said. Well, we're going to get into our recommendation now. I have our recommendation for this week. And what I want to recommend is a graphic novel by Hannah Berry called Britain and Brew Lightly. That's B-R-I-T-T-E-N and Brew Lightly, B-R-U-L-I-G-H-T-L-Y. And there's a... What do you call the two dots on the top of the umlaut? Is that and what that's umlaut? called? Umlaut. Umlaut. There it is uh, on on the U in Brulightly. So this is a fascinating book. It was her first graphic novel. She's had another one out since then. It came out in two thousand eight. She both wrote, drew, and and colored it, and actually hand painted uh, each page. Mm. Uh, she said it took her about two and a half years uh, to to paint it. Basically, this is a noir kind of murder mystery that she's doing here. And so it, it sort of has to be in these sort of muted colors for it, to, for it to work. But once you get used to the kind of muted palette, you realize how much detail she's put into this and, uh, and how carefully uh, the art has been done. Basically, the story uh, is about... A man named Fernandez Britton, who is living in the UK, he's Ecuadorian, Uh, he is a private detective, but most of his cases have involved him basically digging up dirt on people about their lovers, like this is what happens, is I want to know whether my wife is cheating on me or not and so they they you know they have him go and and follow her or whatever and so he's gotten this reputation he's called the heartbreaker because of this because he just comes up with the goods on on people's spouses and so forth and then they get very angry with him all of this work over the years has basically killed his soul i mean he's just become just completely depressed and uh, sees no value in in things anymore because the more he digs into the truth which is his job right to find out the truth the more he messes things up the more horrible things become and so when we first meet him he is a, a sort of a depressed kind of character who's just kind of going through the motions um, his partner, now this is a little bit of a spoiler, although it won't spoil the actual mystery of the book, but I feel like I need to say this because it's such a glaringly uh, out there part of the story. Um, his partner is named Stuart Brulightly, and he is a teabag. <laughs> That's that's you heard that like correct. Literally he is literally a, a like a bag with tea in it. Okay, um, there is nothing else in this in this story like this at all. And he only speaks to to Britain. Britain's the only one who hears him. And so it's you know there's always the question of uh, is he completely nuts? You know how is this working? But uh, there are not, there's nothing else in this story that is outside of like the realm of. Um, the plausible, except for the fact that he's got this partner who's a teabag. Um, 
it's just I just throw that out there uh, because it's too weird not to mention. But anyhow, the story is about him taking a case of a man named Bernie Kudos who has committed suicide, but his uh, his fiance Charlotte does not believe that it was really a suicide. She thinks he would never do this and that, in fact, there was a murder that's taken place there. And so Britton, at first, is going to kind of dismiss the thing because he's, he's tired of dealing with these, these cases, but he thinks maybe this will... Maybe this will be the one where I'll actually find some truth that'll give some happiness to somebody. It's a very dark story. Very dark, all the way through from one end to the other. Uh, it's noir, it's gritty. It is often funny. There's a lot of, of humor to it. But um, the ultimate worldview that's presented in it, I would say, is, is pretty grim. Um, and so reading this as a Christian was sort of interesting because it, it's it's hard to kind of come out out of it with any kind of hopeful sense for the world, uh, and yet at the same time I found it absolutely compelling because of the idea of the hopeless search, which is sort of what the world minus Christ is anyway, um, the search for truth that leads to nothing but sadness. It's such a well done book, uh, such a well done mystery. The only negative thing, really, that I can say about it is the lettering is kind of tough to read. It's written in a kind of script style, the lettering is. Um, and so that takes some getting used to. And I, I found that to be a little bit annoying to have to constantly be trying to figure out what it says. Um, mm. But but you do get used to it after a while and you're able to get through it. How would you come across it? Local, it's very out there. Local library. Oh, okay. Local wow. library. Sometimes you find some great gems at the local library. Mm -hmm. Trying to step up my recommendation game. Yeah, Father Matt sets the bar high, he right? He does, he does. <laughs> I'm always looking. What can I find before Father Matt does? <laughs> well, that's going to bring us into our main discussion for today. And our main discussion for today is love. And you may be asking yourself right now, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. Um... <laughs> But <laughs> what is love but a secondhand emotion? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like love love will keep us together. And all you need is love, love, love. All you need is love. Love is a pretty broad topic. Uh, it's kind of hard to narrow down into just, uh, you know, let's talk about everything that's ever had to do with love. So we wanted to talk about love because what, what better thing to talk about in the season of Easter, the season of the resurrection, than to talk about love. But we thought that an interesting way of getting into this would be to use C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. C.S. Lewis is certainly one of my favorite writers. I quote him quite a lot. Um, my uh, parishioners uh, have condition themselves that whenever i mention lewis at this point they take a shot because that's you know <laughs> it's the father jonathan drinking game lewis wrote this book uh or was it an essay or a whole book well it was a it was a book yeah it was yeah. a whole book, called, a the, book. Yeah. called the four loves where he talks about the four different kinds of love that we see on display in in the new testament now just to back this up a little bit one of the things that limits our experience as human beings is language itself. We can only go as far as our language will take us. 
And of course, the great thing about writers, poets, artists, and so forth is that they try to push the limits of these things so that we can express more and more. But there's that old line uh, that may or may not be true about Eskimos having uh, 50 words for snow or 100 words for snow or something like that. And the idea is because if you live in a place with nothing but snow, you develop lots of different words that describe all of the different types of snow that there are. And so your experience of snow becomes much deeper than if you only have one word, snow, to describe all of those phenomenon. Well, what Lewis points out is that's essentially our problem in English with the word love, that there are lots of different kinds of love, but uh, our language limits our ability to talk about it, and we just kind of throw them all together as if it's all basically the same thing. So what he points out is that in ancient Greek, uh, in the New Testament and in the period thereafter, there were actually four different words for love, and that each one of them meant a different kind of love. And those kinds of love are eros, which is romantic love. Eros is where we get the word erotic from, so it's romantic love. Storges, or storge, which is familial love. This is the love you share with family members or with those you're bonded to um, in, in some other uh, familiar way like that. Um, could be... Um, uh, somebody who's uh, adopted into a family relationship as well. Philia, which is friendship, the love that is shared between friends. And finally, agape, which is the love that God displays. And that's selfless love. That's love uh, freely given for no other reason than for the giving of, of oneself. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each one of these types of love, and we're not going to be able to do this exhaustively, nor do we need to, but we're just going to mention some places where in some of our favorite comic stories, we've seen each of these types of love at work. Let's start with Eros. Eros is romantic love. Now, Father Matt, you said you had about uh, eight hundred <laughs> examples or something of romantic love. So, well, I I, I was thinking about this um, last night, and a favorite theme of any literary uh, venture is 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 romance. I, I mean, and 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 especially in, in comic books, one of the major genres that unfortunately sort of fallen out of uh, favor is the romance comic book. But it, it, it served as the origin for a lot of the the superhero uh, books as well, and 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 the 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 sort of personal lives of the characters. But um, so there, there's been some beautiful um, depictions of of eros or romantic love in comic books. One of the most touching stories of romantic love that I can think of is one from Astro City. It kind of plays with the idea of the major, like, kind of crossover event, like Crisis of Infinite Earth, where characters are written out of continuity and things like that. But this tells the story from the perspective of just a man on the street. And he is haunted by these dreams of this woman. He knows her in depth. Uh, he knows all her little quirks, and, and the dreams are so vivid. He knows how she bites her nails, and he's completely infatuated with this woman that he's always dreaming about, that really, it, she isn't even really his type. 
he's trying to remember where does he know her from? Did he go to school with her? You know, where where is she from? And and the the character the hanged man, uh, one of the mystical kind of characters in the Astro City universe, appears to him and explains that in this, you know, cosmic struggle between superheroes, uh, the continuity of the universe changed and his wife was written out of continuity. And mm, um, wow. and he offer he gives him the option. He says, "Well, I, you know, I could make you forget about her. It's your choice." And the man chooses not to. He wants to remember her. And then he asks the hang, hanged man this question: he "says Does anyone choose to forget?" And and the hanged man says, "No. They all want to remember." So that that was just one story that really blew me away. Yeah. Um, a, a, an example of a really just touching story about a a man and, and his wife. What some of the other stories are: the thing and and uh, Alicia from uh, the Fantastic Four. It's sort of a Beauty and the Beast story where she loves him for who he is, you know, despite the fact that he's this grotesque monster. And and the irony is that although she's blind, she sees him like nobody else can see him. And along those same lines is Swamp Thing and Abigail. Abigail Kane, the niece of his demonic villain, Anton Kane. And there's a remarkable story uh, which is sort of the beginning of their romance, where her soul is condemned to hell by her wicked uncle. And Swamp Thing travels to the underworld to retrieve her from hell. And, and prior to this, they, they've just been sort of friends. But he goes down to hell to save her. It's, it's got all the references to Dante. He's got these different characters that he, he meets along the way. Dead Man, the Phantom Stranger, and the Tregan, and they're sort of his gods through the underworld. And he rescues her um, from hell, and he brings her back and reunites her soul to her body. It's, it's just done very beautifully, and they find that they love one another, and she confesses her love for him. But he's like a, you know, a plant man. He's Swamp Thing. And so there's obviously an obstacle uh, there in their relationship. I mean, they they exchange a kiss, and and she's like, you know, it tastes sort of like lime. <laughs> and, and, and Swamp Thing says, yes, but you need more than just the taste of lime, you know. I, and I can't give you this, you know. Wow, what a line! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, oh, but you need more than you the need taste. More. So, so the, now this is the, bu- the the kind of remarkable part. So. Swamp Thing, um, he he says, well, they can be intimate together, but obviously not in the way that that men and women are typically intimate together. But he grows this fruit from his body, (laughs) this this like uh, hallucinogenic like yam, and and she eats the fruit. Yam? Yeah, it's like it's like a fruit, like a yam. It looks like a yam, you know. And she eats this fruit. And she's like kind of brought into the green with him. And it's just like this, you know, they could kind of commune together through her eating uh, the the uh, the fruit that grows from his body. It's weird, it's wild, but it's, it's strangely beautiful. And this is the way that they have communion together. She she eats of his his body, which which should remind us of something, you know how how she eats the body of the one who rescued her from hell. 
But um, but mm. yeah, it's it, it, it's 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 a touching story and a touching romance. Can can I just say, and I, I I do appreciate you linking it with communion and all that other stuff. Still, uh, I have to say, more creepy than romantic in just the description. <laughs> you have to read it. It's beautifully drawn. Here, beautifully eat this yam that I just grew out of myself, <laughs> and we shall be one. Anyway, um. <laughs> Father Father Matt pointed out that romance comics was a very big genre in comics, even into I think the sixties um, and seventies too. And but they yeah. just kind of died out. They're making a comeback slowly, very slowly, but it is happening. There are some very small publishers that are working on some romance uh, comics. There's a, a publisher I think called Rosie Comics. I might have that wrong, but um, I'll, I'll make sure to link to it correctly. Um, that's that's trying to do some new uh, romance comics. What's interesting now is uh, some of the romance stories that are happening that are dealing with new ideas and new phenomena. So uh, you don't just have boy meets girl in the old-fashioned way, but you have them dealing with computers and technology and all that kind of stuff. So mm. one example of that would be Alex and Ada, which, of course, I've talked about on the on the program before, um, which is a, a short 15-issue, uh, three-volume-in-trade three set that Image did uh, about a year ago now, or a little more than a year ago now, in which uh, a man basically falls in love with an, with an android who he uh, makes sentient. He, he, doesn't, he didn't create her, but he, he's given this android, mm. and he finds out that actually all of them have sentience, but it's being blocked by this program. And so he releases her. And then from there, it becomes not only a people from two worlds kind of story, but it also becomes a story about um, prejudice and about, you know, fighting and um, uh, for your place in the world um, and all that kind of stuff. It really is um, kind of a beautiful romance story. Another one that's just started relatively recently is called New Romancer. It's a, a comic being put out by Vertigo, and it's written by Peter Milligan and uh, drawn by Brett Parson. And I've only read the first issue of this so far. The first issue was out uh, for, the, for February, uh, so I imagine we're, we're probably several issues in, if not up to a trade now. We'll see. But it's about a young woman named Lexi Ryan, who is a computer programmer and who steals some code from this place she's been working for and takes it with her after she's fired over to this new company, New Romancer, that is basically a computer dating company. Oh, okay. And she's supposed to create an algorithm that's going to bring unlikely people together. But what she is secretly also doing is creating profiles of some of her favorite figures from literature and the past. See, she's never had real love in her own life, but she's always had great love for certain romantic figures from the past. And so she creates profiles for them in the hopes of basically creating real versions of them within this larger program. But something goes wrong... She doesn't realize some of the things that her old company had been doing. And lo and behold, Lord Byron, you know, Lord Byron, the poet, the 19th uh -huh. century poet, ends up in the body of this other guy. 
<laughs> and she <laughs> runs into him. And it turns out Lord Byron uh, was really romantic back then, kind of a jerk now. Um, <laughs> and so they have this kind of, um, you know, uh, will they, won't they sort of romance. And there's all this other kinds of intrigue about other people who are, have been created through the release of this program. And it's vertigo, so there's also a lot of, you know, people being stabbed. Uh, so um, that that's sort of a promising, interesting uh, new series. Hmm. When you think of romantic love, there's the basic archetypes of comics with Superman and Lois Lane and Spider-Man and Mary Jane, sure. um, perhaps Gwen Stacy, too, in the mix. Um, but you have a lot of those things that are very prominent in, in regular superhero stories that evidence sure. that kind of love. Pulled right from the world of romance comics. Right. John right. Ramita even used to be the Marvel Comics artist on the romance books mm, mm, before yeah. he drew Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Storgase, which is familial love. Um, the love that we uh, have a, sort of a bond of affinity with those in our own family, those of our own kin, or even those who kind of come into our, our households and and become a part of our family life. I, I have a, a great example for this one, uh, which is Saga, which I know that I've mentioned to you guys before, and I know Father Matt hasn't read it yet. Father Kyle, have you read Saga yet? I have not, no. Gentlemen, you've got to read Saga. It's amazing, it's an amazing book. List. It's a space opera. So it's, you know, it's like Star Wars. There's this whole sort of rolled-out universe that's created within it. But basically, it's also the story of these two people from these two warring worlds. They've been at war forever. Nobody even remembers what the war is about anymore. And the war has affected the entire universe at this point. The two of them are soldiers from opposing worlds. They fall in love with each other. They have a daughter. This is not okay with the powers that be. And so the story is a story of them on the run with their daughter trying to keep from getting caught because if they're caught, then their daughter will probably be killed because she's, you know, an abomination in the eyes of both of their peoples. It's a, a really amazing story in a lot of ways, but especially as a story of familial love. Because uh, not only do you have some interesting things in terms of the love between these two people, but you also have a lot of this in terms of family life. You have them learning how to care for their daughter you have the daughter, you know, how that changes the equation of love between the parents now that they have a child. You have the extended family. His extended family shows up at some point and becomes uh, connected with them. Um, and so, you know, there's this whole thing with the mother and the father, particularly the mother who does not like this new relationship at all. It's not what we do. You don't get together with their kind, whatever. Uh, and yet slowly over time, she has to learn to deal with it. Like, this is my family now, and so I need to learn how to love the members of my family uh, because this is the person that my son has chosen. You even have this amazing phantom babysitter, this uh, girl who was killed on this planet that they visit, and her ghost ends up joining them. And the ghost is great. She's drawn basically only uh from the top up so from from her midsection up she looks like like a 14 year old kid would look you know she's got a t-shirt and a hat or whatever 
from the midsection down, all you see is like her hanging innards because that was the way she was killed. <laughs> oh, but she's God. in. It's not. It's not gross. I mean, you get used to. It's not that gross. It's like it's in sort of phantom relief. So it's not like you're just okay. you know. But she becomes a part of the family, and she ends up receiving this same kind of love, right? We're going to care for her the way we care for family. Why? Because she's become a part of the family. And I think that's interesting in and of itself. You know, no matter what culture you're talking about, no matter what grouping you think of in our world, people understand on some level the concept of family and particularly the concept that you are supposed to love your family and care for your family simply because they are your family, right? I mean, that shows up everywhere, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I think Saga is a great example. I, one example that I would have of family love comes from The Walking Dead, although I, I know I had been kind of down on that in some ways in past episodes. You know, a large part of the story of The Walking Dead is a story of the survivors of this zombie apocalypse gathering together. Mm -hmm. And as they gather together and find one another in the course of events, what you find has happened is that they've gathered as families and they begin to care for each other and love each other Mm -hmm. as families. And you see pockets of this in different ways. So there's, you know, one family that has formed in this town and there's the main family that runs all throughout the story, if you will. But um, over and over again, you see those those bonds of familial love being built up through The Walking Dead. And that was one of the cool things about the comic book. One of the most touching examples of familial love is between Batman and Alfred. Mm. Wouldn't you agree? So, I mean, yeah. he, here you have this this man who is basically the the servant, the butler of the, of the Wayne family, but has cared for Bruce Wayne like a father is his main ally and and confidant in his mission for for justice. Yeah, and and I think by extension Batman's entire family. I mean for a long while there was a in the 70s there well not for a long while but for a while in the 70s there was a, a Batman comic called Bat the Batman Family mm-hmm. and that's been a very central part of his whole um his whole character has been the fact that he's surrounded by these uh other bat superheroes and they all share in that kind of familiar familial love in fact dc's even going back to that idea in their new reboot series that's coming out in june they're um, returning detective comics and action comics back to their 900 numbering and um part of good (laughs) part of uh yeah just those two but it's rebirth the entire universe is getting reborn oh um uh it's a it's an attempt to correct the mistakes they made in the DCU, moving from the New 52 to the DCU. Uh, so there's some good things in it, the good things that are coming. But but that's one of the things that the focus of Detective Comics in this new reboot and return to the original numbering is that it's going to focus on the Batman family. Oh. So it'll be about Batman and Batwoman and Robin and uh, Cassandra Kane and and spoiler and you know you get that whole familial love thing at work again. It's it's interesting as we're talking about this how many examples we're coming up with, um, not just of family but of those who uh, become our extended family or I should say those who 
fill in the spots that are missing in our families. It makes me think a little bit about the Holy Family and thinking about sort of the idea that family itself, that there's an inherent need that we have for family, but not just for any sort of family, right? Like it's not just, oh, we have a need for people who care about us, but we actually have a need for people to fill certain roles in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have a father, you seek out father figures. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a mother, you seek out mother figures. I was thinking about in my, even in my own experience, you know, I, I'm an only child. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. I found uh, myself over and over again in friendships seeking out brother-like or sister-like figures. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think that that's interesting that that happens. I also think there's a grace to that, right? Like if you think about it, I mean, you know, our Lord is you know he has his father in heaven and he has his mother and then you have this figure of saint joseph um well, what do you do with saint joseph and and a lot of medieval writers didn't know what to do with saint joseph there's a lot of artwork from the romantic period onward where joseph is like off in the background with his arm over his face uh because the idea is well he's just you know He's just mm. there. He doesn't He doesn't need to be there. But I actually think there's something quite beautiful and intentional about this, the idea of the adopted family, right, that Joseph becomes an adoptive father, not, not a replacement father, but an adoptive father. He takes on a certain role. And if you think about it in terms of our own salvation, I mean, if, there was, if it wasn't for the adoptive family, we would not be sons and daughters of God. Uh, mm -hmm. But for the fact that through Christ, we are adopted. Uh, through mm -hmm. Christ, we are able to boldly say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Right. Um, so that's interesting that that comes out over and over again in stories, and especially uh, in comic stories. Yeah, absolutely. Philia is the third type of love, and Philia is friendship. And actually, this is one of the ones that Lewis in his book spent the most time on talking about, because... We often don't know what to do with this type of love, particularly in our culture, which is saturated with sexualized imagery. Mm -hmm. And so uh, any kind of, you know, we, we, we sort of get familial love because that's just so deeply ingrained into us. So we get the idea that there would be a bond in family. And we don't really get romantic love, but we do get the idea of lust. We get the idea of sexual attraction. We don't know what to do in our society today, I think, with really close friendship. It doesn't fit into either of those categories, and so we often try to sexualize it or try to, yeah. assu or we assume there must be something sexual in the background of a friendship, or it becomes familiarized, right? Because it's the only other thing we know, know how to do with it. Right. Um, but I wonder if you guys have any good examples from comics of, of Philia. Well, one, biblically speaking first, let me say that, that David and Jonathan right. in the Bible are the prime example of, of filial love, right? And that's, I think they've become the victims of that very thing you've talked about. But, um, but biblically speaking, that's a very um, good example of, of filial love, a brotherly love at work, um, a deep and abiding brotherly love. And I think off of that, looking at comics, sort of using that as the pattern, one of the ones that jumped out at me is the relationship that Batman and Superman actually have. 
especially you know all Zack Snyder Batman v Superman aside especially in the 1970s and 1980s in the world's finest comics mm-hmm. um, where they were truly a team and they they did you know delve into their personal lives and how Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent functioned together and were interested in one another. And it wasn't all about just crime solving, um, but but they developed that very deep bond with one another. And um, I co- certainly commend those issues to anybody who's looking for an example of this. Read through the that period of World's Finest, and I think you'll see some really great examples of that. Another example that stands out is um, Matt Murdock and Foggy mm-hmm. Nelson in Daredevil. You know, they have a very deep, almost a David and Jonathan-like <laughs> kind of filial love at work, especially when we get towards the end of Mark Wade's run and uh, Foggy is struggling with cancer. And you really start to see the bonds of the two of those grow very strong. You know, we can look at the strength of their love for one another in light of the fact that, man, Matt Murdock put Foggy through hell time and time yeah. again. Yeah. And Foggy stuck by him. You know, he loved him and he stuck by him. He wasn't afraid to call out some of Matt Murdock's BS and some of his um, problems. But they they ended up standing by one another through thick and thin. Uh, another example um from the world of Marvel Comics. And we've already mentioned uh, The Thing and his his romantic relationship. But um, one of the great friendships in comics, I think, is between Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, and Ben Grimm, The Thing. And, and um, couldn't it be more different? You know, Reed Richards is this brilliant, kind of almost too brilliant uh, scientist. Uh, mm. Ben Grimm is from the mean streets of, of, of New York, very working class, rough and tumble kind of guy. But they have this they have this great friendship that like transcends those kind of cultural differences. And there's this kind of this love that, that Reed Richards has for Ben. He's always searching uh for a way to to cure him, to, to you know, to make him uh, a, a man again. But, I mean, uh, throughout the series, they, they they almost... The Fantastic Four really are like a family, you know, so they almost become family with one another. I mean, we could... This kind of crosses over into the Storgase in, in that, um, yeah. you know, they become adopted family of one another. But it, it's really also a touching picture of brotherhood. Uh, of a friendship between between two male characters. Well, and and I was just thinking about, and I I know I, I mentioned this way back when we did our episode after the the last Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, came out. But one of the things that I appreciated in that film was the friendship that they depict between uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I loved for a variety of reasons, but probably. Mostly because they, in that movie, you know, they show uh, Hawkeye's family and his family life, and they show her as, they show Black Widow as being sort of a part of that because she's his friend. And what I loved about that is they depicted that friendship without, without even a hint of, is there something sexual going on here? Is this like secretly like they're lovers or something like that? It's like, no, they are good friends. It is, in fact, 
humanly possible mm-hmm. for a man and a woman to be good friends and for it not to be one of these other types of things. And you so rarely see that kind of a story depicted anywhere. It's almost, if it, if there's ever a friendship between a man and a woman, it's almost always in film or, or TV or, or wherever, just, you know, a matter of time before they develop it into, and here's where it's going with that. Yeah. So I was, I was very appreciative of that. Well, that leaves us with one, but it's a big one. Agape, the selfless love of God. This is the love that, as Christians, we're called to have with one another and with the world. Yeah, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, right? That's right. We talked about sacrifice, and I think maybe a lot of our examples of sacrifice are, are pictures of, of of agape, but also some of the other... I, some of the other loves, you know, it's not always a, a watertight compartment. Uh, in fact, I mean, even the scriptures kind of talk about agape love or eros as as a picture of agape love in in, in many ways. Certainly, I think the example that I named with with Swamp Thing and Abigail it, it can 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 kind of be named also uh, as as agape love this willingness for Swamp Thing to go down to hell to rescue Abigail. I mean, it grows into a, a more romantic kind of love, but certainly that that romance is a picture of, of, of Christ's love for us in that he was willing to go down to death to, to rescue us. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I think um, I think there some of these pictures of friendship, uh, of romantic love, of familial love, um, can be pictures of divine love as well. Um, and, and certainly the Bible speaks about uh, God's love as being like a father towards us. Um, so sure. all these all these kind of earthly loves could also be icons of, of divine love. Sure, and I think that's actually, I mean, the, the Christian ideal, um, what it is that we're called to and what it is that we're hopefully being made into as we become more and more one with Christ is uh, people for whom all of our relationships are loving in this way. And so we, we start to exhibit agape in our romantic relationships, in our friendships, in our familiar relationships, and in our relationships with others in the world um, who we may not be close to in these other ways. But if I could just throw out one example, just because it, it came to mind, and it's one that now I wish I had thrown out there when we, we talked about sacrifice, and that would be in... Uh, the most recent run of Green Lantern. So the basic idea of of Green Lantern is that there the there's this core of uh, people from planets all over the universe who um, there's a, a group of ancient uh, people called the Guardians, and they set this core up years ago. And the idea is that the Green Lantern core is. Um, supposed to basically be policemen for for the for the galaxy. They go around and they help people, and they uh, stop injustices, and they right wrongs, and they basically become a police force for the galaxy in the best sense, right? Like these are people who are there to protect and serve. The Green Lantern Corps went through a lot of really crummy stuff after uh, after the the New Fifty Two. Uh, run started to happen 
Um, and particularly ever since Robert Venditti took over the book from Jeff Johns a few years ago. And Venditti's been on it for a while now. He's probably written 25, 30 issues at this point. But basically, it got to a point in the storyline where the Green Lantern Corps was... Not only was it uh, decimated in ranks, but people had become deeply suspicious of them. Uh, It had come out that in the use of the the power of the light that they were actually depleting the light from other, you know, other parts of the universe. Um, and so that became problematic. Um, there were some problems with sort of interlopers, alien invasions, things like that, where green lanterns were going off course and, and, and doing bad things or where those who were impersonating were doing bad things. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. The point is they were at a, at a, at a crossroads where, it looked like they might have to fold up because nobody trusted them anymore, which meant that they couldn't do their job anymore. They couldn't protect people anymore. Well, Hal Jordan, who is the first Green Lantern from Earth and still, I would say, the primary figure um, in the Green Lantern comic, uh, Hal Jordan, who by this time had become the leader of the Green Lanterns, knew that he had to do something about this. And so what he ends up doing is he's, he's in the kind of rare artifacts depot that they, they keep um, of, of things they've had to take from people over the years. And he's in there with Kilowog, who is another Green Lantern friend of his. And he basically says, you know, I have to do something for the good of the core. And so there's this gauntlet, this glove that they have there that is powered by the same light as the rings. He takes off his ring, grabs a hold of the... A hold of the glove and he basically starts beating Kilowog up with it and Kilowog is very shocked by this and what's wrong with you you've gone crazy he doesn't kill him or anything but he, he, he beats him up he gives him some bruises and then he leaves the whole point of this for how Jordan was he was trying to sacrifice his own reputation for the sake of the core he thought if I become an outlaw if I name myself as the poison that has infected the core, if I become the target, then the reputation of the core can come back, people will trust the core again, and most importantly, people will be safe because of the core again. And so that's what he does, and he can't even really tell Kilowog that's what he's doing, even though it's his friend, because it would ruin the whole thing. But he's so, this is where I see an agape love moment. I mean, in a way, there's there's a philia to this, too, because he has great love for the core itself and love for his friends, and he wants to see them succeed. But more than anything else, he's a hero. He wants to see people safe across the universe, people he's never met, people who have never done anything good for him. He wants to see them safe, and if it takes his reputation being ruined, if it takes him becoming hunted as an outlaw to do it, then he's willing to do it. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't really work the way that he had planned, um, and he ends up on the run um, and basically helping people even though they think he's an outlaw. Uh, but I just thought that's a great example of agape, that kind of I'm going to totally sacrifice myself. Um, I'm not going to leave a shred of a way out. So he's not even going to tell Kilowog what he's doing. I'm going to totally sacrifice myself. And it's not going to be because I love this person or I love that person, it's going to be for the love of all people. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a great example. That would have fit well with our sacrifice theme as well. You're right. Well, it's good to save one great example of heroic sacrifice for the love episode. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's right. right. That's right. Well, there are many more examples we could do with each and every one of these types of love. I'm sure you all out uh, in Internet land have your own examples. We'd love to hear about them. You can always drop us an email and be in conversation with us about it, or you can come and find us on the social media. The social media is really a happening thing. Um, you know, a lot of the kids these days, I hear them talking about the social media, and they use words to describe it like cool, uh, rad, hip, <laughs> uh, dope, uh, stupid fly, I've heard. Um, many of them have told me that they get jiggy with it, Um, so, you know, fortunately I am on the pulse of where the kids are at these days. And so I've made sure along with my compatriots here, Father Kyle and Father Matt, that we at God and Comics are also on the pulse of this hip, stupid, fly, dope, jiggy thing called the social media. You can interact with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash God and Comics or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter, at God and Comics. Find us there. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. You'll be glad you did. It's the loving thing to do. But on that note, we're going to move on to our final segment today. And our final segment, as always, is this or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? All right, Father Kyle, what do you have for us, this or that? All right. Well, in keeping with our opening segment about Batman versus Superman, we'll start off with one for Father Matt, Batman or Superman. Oh, boy, this is like the classic this or that. It's really hard to say. I, you know, I, I love both characters, I, but for the sake of this, I'm going to say this time superman because i feel like superman gets an unfair shake a lot of times everybody everybody's loving on batman all the time but you know superman's really great too and uh and you know he he hasn't been done quite the justice that batman has in in, in recent years it's like the john versus paul you know, which one is the better Beatle question, right? Like, yeah. Come on, you can't really answer it, you know. Yeah, They're both no. great in different ways. Exactly. That's right. Depends on the day. Yep. All right. Father Jonathan, we just passed the season of Easter when there were plenty of great treats to be had. And so my question for you is jelly beans or chocolate rabbits? Well, Father Kyle, I'm glad you asked me that question. And uh, let me just... <laughs> Let me just say, first off, we haven't passed the season of Easter. We passed Easter Sunday. Yes, true, we're true. In the season I of Easter. And we no, I think Easter. this is good to point out because everybody always remembers Lent and they don't always remember Easter. Lent is 40 days when we fast and when we, you know, uh, uh, go through endurance and it's difficult and everything else. And that's what people think of with the church. They think, oh, that's the place where you, you know, hit yourself and, and feel bad all the time. <laughs> Easter is 50 days, friends, 50 days. It's longer than Lent. And during Easter, we are to feast and to celebrate. So I hope you all out there are feasting and celebrating right now, except for Father Nico and our Orthodox friends, because they're not there yet. 
<laughs> but uh, but every all the rest of you Western Christians all ought to be feasting right now. But uh, to answer your question, jelly beans or chocolate rabbits, I would have had a different answer for this when I was a kid because I loved me some chocolate rabbits. Uh, but I'm not actually able to eat chocolate anymore, so I've got to go with jelly beans. And I eat far too many jelly beans. I make up for especially I've recently discovered Starburst jelly beans, which has been my unmaking. Oh, so. man. Yeah. Uh, Father Matt will say Team Captain America or Team Iron Man in the upcoming Civil War event or the Civil War event that has passed, depending on your perspective. In the, in the, in the comic book. Yes. Well, you know, I was I, I was gonna say Captain America because of his courageous stance for civil liberties, but um, at the same time, you know, I could kind of see Iron Man's point. I mean, how would I really feel in, in a world with these with people with this kind of power? Um, but by the way, this is the theme of Batman Superman too. I, I think that's kind of interesting. Gosh, I, I you know I changed my mind like midway. I, I think I think I want to say uh, Iron Man because yeah, I mean uh, I, I think there needs to be some reasonable you know restrictions for public safety on on these superheroes. All right, well reasoned answer. I had a parishioner ask me this question on the in the receiving line on the Easter vigil, and I answered <laughs> I answered Captain America, and she said we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> Civil War. Wow, your, your <laughs> parish is awesome. I never get those questions at the door. <laughs> it was all because I wore a coat. On you, the, the oh, well, there you uh, go. <laughs> and, uh, and I made a joke about it not being due to my love of superheroes. So it was yeah. the Captain America cope, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, all I usually get at the door is, wow, sermon ran a little long today, Father. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> all right, Father Jonathan, next one is for you. St. Chrysostom or St. Augustine? Oh, I, I, I have to go with St. John Chrysostom. I do love St. Augustine. Um, I'm not one of these people who hates on Augustine. I know there's like a whole like uh, a whole thing for people who hate on Augustine. And uh, generally I find people who hate on Augustine have never actually read Augustine. Um, yeah. <laughs> because they, they accuse him of all kinds of things that don't make any sense. Um, right. I don't think Augustine is perfect. There's definitely some stuff in Augustine that I, I find troubling, uh, but uh, there's a lot of great stuff in Augustine. But St. John Chrysostom is just spiritually enlivening for me to read. You know, the the name Chrysostom means golden-mouthed, golden-tongued, and it's because he preached so well and so clearly, and I find that still is true. I mean, here's a guy who was writing in uh, the 5th century, and yet I can pull a book of his sermons off the shelf and read it today, and it reads like it could have been written today in some yes. ways. Um, and uh, I, I just, you know, his his work on the priesthood is so good um, and has helped me understand that so well. His sermons on marriage are amazingly helpful. And he was Thomas Cranmer's favorite church father. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to have to go with St. John Chrysostom. The Daredevil TV show or Jessica Jones? Both both are really excellent. Um, I, but you know what? I'm going to have to say Daredevil. Just because Daredevil is like like one of my childhood heroes. I've been waiting for this Daredevil TV show since I was, you know, 
like six years old. All right, Father Jonathan, um, given your given your revelation uh, on our last episode of your hip hop past, oh, no. this question is for you: Bone Thugs and Harmony or N.W.A. Oh, N.W.A. And why is do I, that? Do I have to even explain that? Bone- <laughs> I, I like Bone Thugs and Harmony. I'm all right. You've got to sell me on this. Well, Bone Thugs and Harmony was um, put together is sort of put together by Eazy E. It was um, after N.W.A. ended, but it's it's the, their whole style just never particularly appealed to me. It was this kind of funky sort of melodic rapping where it was like mm-hmm. one line on top of the other on top of the other. Um, and it, it just, um, it, there are certain styles that have they've never done anything for me. And that's one of them. Like s- similarly to, you know, the sort of like Nate dog kind of, uh, West coast sort of, uh, halfway auto tuned kind of sing rapping has mm-hmm. never done anything for me either. NWA was brilliant. They were cutting edge when they came out. Now they eventually became parodies of themselves after they'd been doing it for a while. They start, you know. The, their later stuff, particularly after Ice Cube left, um, is just uh, is so over the top as to be un- uninteresting and unlistenable after a while. But their early stuff, straight out of Compton, man, that that is still an amazing album. Yeah. Um, not that I, as a priest, would ever listen to something <laughs> with such foul language. Of course not. Um, uh, nor would I have played it uh, happily in my car with the windows down while driving to the theater to see the Straight Outta Compton movie. I wouldn't have done that either. With um, your collar on? No, I didn't have the collar on. I wasn't quite that brazen about it, but yeah. Can I just say, I love the fact that uh, you could speak as as uh, passionately about um, the Green Lantern, <laughs> Augustine, and, uh, and hip-hop music. Yes. All with equal enthusiasm. <laughs> I think the That's best right. the best thing is to read St. John Chrysostom while listening to NWA. And then follow it up with some follow Green Lantern. Follow it up Lantern. with some Green Lantern, yeah. <laughs> then you're good to go. Next one for Father Matt. Clue or Monopoly? Oh, Monopoly. I have more memories of of uh, of of childhood epic games of Monopoly. You know, it, it usually would result in, 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 like, wrestling matches and, like, you know, spill out into the street. <laughs> it would usually get pretty real towards the end. But, yeah, Monopoly is uh, is probably, I would say, over a clue for me. I've always thought of you as a venture capitalist. I, I, exactly, so, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm very good at making imaginary money. Just not real money. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I'm just left with this image of Father Matt and his friends spilling out into the front yard <laughs> in a fist well, fight. Well, <laughs> no, there, there, there's this, there was this story. My cousins uh, came to visit, and, and, and they they got into this Monopoly game, and it, it, it was like... It was like they they went out in the yard and they were fighting and like you know the police came and <laughs> the police came. It was oh it was God. it was it was some uh, it was like the uh, you know uh, the police came. How do you even explain that? 
<laughs> Officer, he would not sell me Baltic Avenue. I wanted Baltic Avenue. The, the cops were like, oh, you guys were playing Monopoly. Oh, I see how it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you land on his boardwalk with three hotels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> Oh, and man. and after the cops came, did they go to jail without passing go? Uh, yes, in fact, no. <laughs> they had to get out of jail free card. Free card. Oh, good. Tried That's to good. use it. That's good. It was called my uncle Paul's the police officer. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, that's all I got. We need to leave it on that note. That's all we have then for this episode of God and Comics. You can listen to the episode again on our website, godandcomics.com. And while you're there, you can check out the links that we put up every, every episode to some of the rad stuff we talk about. You can also subscribe to the program through iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, if you wouldn't mind giving the show a rating uh, and a review, we would love that. It helps other people to find us. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right now in an Easter joyous motion, (laughs) is done by Father Paul Wheatley, who is nothing if not filled with Easter joy. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. And I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see you.